Let us pray. Lord, on this day and on all days, give us the ability to remember. Amen. As I have shared with you before, it's sometimes hard for me to preach on Remembrance Sunday. Because though I have been around many of you who serve in or have served in the military, I have not come close to that experience myself. The other day, unrelated to Remembrance Sunday, Maggie happened to ask me, what is the worst physical pain you have ever suffered? We have joyful conversations. (laughs) None, I said. I realize that despite having been an athlete in middle school and high school, I've never suffered physical pain. I've had no injuries, no headaches, no kidney stones. This means that I often feel out of my element in leading a worship service which is specifically designed for people who have given their lives to our nation, usually under painful circumstances or to the many of you in our congregation who have survived circumstances in which you have lived under daily threat. But what I want to speak about today is a different dimension to remembering than those who have given their lives. What I want to do today is to give voice to their hope and desire for returning home after combat. Returning home, a survivor. Earlier this week, Paul Stetsenko sent me a statement put out by Vladka Lazar Puhalo, who is the abbot of All Saints Monastery, All Saints of America Monastery in Vancouver, Canada. He spoke intently of a way of honoring those who return. Friday is Remembrance Day in Canada, the abbot writes. Is there more of a message to this day than just remembrance of things past? Or should it not rather mean a great deal more than that to us? I rather think, he continues, that we should stand when any soldier or sailor who has served in a battlefront area enters the room. I recall that when Victoria Cross was created, The original design said, for courage, but Queen Victoria disapproved. She said, all men who go to war have courage. The exceptional ones are those who display true valor. So the Victoria Cross says, for valor. At least in democratic nations, the abbot continues, We owe our service men and women a huge debt. Our freedoms are so often written in their blood, in their suffering, and in the courage of countless generations who struggled and sacrificed to bring us from every form of bondage and repression into the blessings of civil rights, social justice, and the fullness of our humanity. My friends, when we remember, it is not just a remembrance of things past. 
It's not just to supporting veterans with better health care and home loans, home and education loans when they return, as important as these things are. Remembering also involves to the best of our ability understanding what they faced, how much we owe our democratic freedoms to them, and vowing ever to protect those freedoms forever. The passage before us from Isaiah is a passage about return. Specifically, it arises from that period in Israel's history when they had been in exile in Babylon for over 400 years. And they were beginning to hear promises from God communicated through the prophetic oracles of Isaiah. Promises of return. Return to Jerusalem. Return home. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, God says, and I will delight in my people. No more, no more shall the sound of weeping be heard in Jerusalem or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives for only a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. As Isaiah envisions a new heavens and a new earth, following a return from the apocalyptic conditions of danger and warfare and exile and battle, speaking for God, Isaiah describes blessings that we consider to be ordinary, life without much weeping or distress, people living to the fullness of their years, people living in their own homes, people eating the fruit of their gardens, people working to support themselves more than those who are above them or wealthier. It is a vision of what we hope life to be after the unblessed condition of war. It is a restoration of the ordinary. In 1997, the late Elie Wiesel, a Holocaust survivor and articulator, wrote a prayer for the days of awe. It begins, Master of the universe, let us make up. It is time. How long can we go on being angry? More than 50 years have passed since the nightmare was lifted. Many things, good and less good, have since happened to those who survived it. They learned to build on ruins. Family life was recreated. Children were born. Friendships struck. 
They learned to have faith in their surroundings, even in their fellow men and women. Gratitude has replaced bitterness in their hearts. No one is as capable of thankfulness as they are. Thankful to anyone willing to hear their tales and become their ally in the battle against apathy and forgetfulness. For them, every moment is a moment of grace. Building on ruins, children born, friendships struck, the restoration of the ordinary. Every moment, a moment of grace. I am glad that Garrison Keillor has recently retired. For the last 15 years or so, it never worked out for me to listen to Prairie Home Companion when it was broadcast live late Friday afternoon, late Saturday afternoon. And I'm not a person, and I'm a person who, if I don't listen to it when it's live, I'm not going to listen to it later on when it's recorded. It's just not me. But now that he's retired, Keillor writes an occasional column for the Washington Post, which I'm able to easily see. This past week, a column told of a recent return he made to his hometown in Minnesota. I went up to my hometown the other day, he said, and I ran into my gym teacher, Stan Nelson, looking good at 96. He commanded a landing craft at Normandy on June 6, 1944. And he never said a word about it back then. Just made us do chin-ups, whether we wanted to or not. I saw my biology teacher, Lyle Bradley, a Marine pilot in the Korean War, still going bird-watching in his 90s. I was not a good student then, but I am studying both of them now. They have seen it all and are still optimistic. Looking good at 96, still bird watching in his 90s. It's the restoration of the ordinary. One of the veterans whom I've gotten to know best here at West at Westminster, I looked at Judge at Doug and said West Virginia. <laughs> it's written all over your face. <laughs> one of the veterans whom I've gotten to know best here at Westminster is one is who is familiar to many of you, though I think the only time I have seen him at 8:30 in the morning is for breakfast, not at this service. But it is John Woods. Like Keeler's teacher, Stan Nelson, John is more or less private. But he's given me permission to share his story with you today. John served in Vietnam, and six weeks after he arrived, he was shot down in a Huey helicopter on October 27, 1967. He was 25 years old. He spent about 10 weeks in military hospitals, first in Vietnam and then in Japan. 
and then he entered Walter Reed on December 12, 1967. He told his doctor, the chief of orthopedics, that his goal was to fly again. The doctor did everything he could to help John meet that goal. John walked out of Walter Reed on October 7, 1970, nearly three years later. He did fly again, though not in the military. And though the doctor told him he would likely suffer sufficient arthritis so as to be limited to a wheelchair after about age 39, John has continued walking to this day. He has needed hip replacement surgery for a while, but he kept putting it off. The Nats in the playoffs, condo board meeting in South Carolina, and then this little heart surgery thing came along. But I've had the privilege of visiting John in the hospital before both his recent surgeries. And I have to tell you, he is one of the best patients I have ever seen. He has had practice. Ten days ago, on a, on a Friday, yeah, on a Friday, John finally had his hip replacement surgery. He left the hospital mid-afternoon on Sunday. Got up Tuesday. I want to go to Rotary, he said, and I want to vote. Not everyone who is shot down recovers to the degree that John has recovered. And not everyone recovers, period, which is why we have Remembrance Sunday. But for those who do recover, for all who come home, every moment of the restoration of the ordinary is a moment of grace. Amen.